Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just keep our eyes closed for a moment. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Lord, as we preach today, I pray with this picture of people needing rest in our city that don't have a place to rest, and with this picture of anxiety 
of my brothers and sisters here who are so tired and burnt out and exhausted or overwhelmed and anxious. I pray, Lord, that this would be more than a Sunday sermon, but we would encounter the rest you want to give us and that we would repent from our way of doing life and learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm a sensitive one, in case you didn't know. The yoke that Jesus is referring to was a rabbi's teaching in the first century. It had to deal with the the Torah or the interpretation of scripture that a rabbi carried. And so Jesus wasn't the only one to say yoke, my yoke. It was his way of teaching, his uh, lifestyle. Because it wasn't just for rabbis, it wasn't just about propositional truths or knowing the right knowledge. It was about a way of living. And Jesus is essentially saying that his way of life, his teachings, applied accurately, is a way that is easy and light. And doesn't that sound like good news? Like, it sounds like good news to me. Advent is the Latin word for the Greek word parousia, which means arrival. And for hundreds, if not thousands of years in the church tradition and calendar, the church has slowed down its ordinary season of life to prepare for the arrival of Jesus. Four weeks to slow us down to get ready for the celebration of the birth of the Messiah who comes to us in the night in the barn placed in a feeding trough by two teenage parents as there is no room for them in the inn. That's the tradition we have. And so we slow down our lives to prepare as Christians for this annual holiday called Christmas. Now, slowing down is the last thing we experience at Christmas, is it not? Doing less is the last thing we do to prepare ourselves for Christmas. In fact, there are more parties, there are more commitments, there are more things to buy, there are office parties, white elephant gift exchanges, secret Santas, and the lists. Oh, the wonder of lists. We rush around holiday seasons with fighting holiday traffic and experiencing, trying to experience this thing called Christmas that has been hijacked by culture. And it's our holiday. And we think fighting the war is saying Merry Christmas. Fighting the war is living Christmas. Anyone here tired and worn out from 2018? Raise your hands. Let's just see, let's just, we're in a safe place. No one's gonna judge. I'm judging all of you. Are you stressed out by Christmas itself? Let's just be fully honest. Anyone stressed by Christmas? It's December 2nd. <laughs> Our shopping in my household is done because of the lists and a wife that is insane. But it's, <laughs> she's not insane in a good way, like solid, amazing, <laughs> a little crazy, but where would I be without my b- beautiful boo? Who's not in the kids' room. I think she's helping in the kids' ministry, so she's not going to hear me anyway. So there you go. <laughs> Unless she's in there, and babe, I love you so much. I'm sorry. Anyways, anyone feeling the lists? Anyone feeling the pressure of going into debt to make sure you provide the Christmas your family needs? The burden that's in the season is unbelievable, and not just the season of Christmas. I've been having regular conversations with people who are exhausted and burnt out from their daily life this year. They're overwhelmed. 
Their business has been blowing up or in chaos or successful. Their family life is all over the place. The idea of, of, of slowing down, the idea of, of, of rest is, is just this, this, this a concept that they can't put into practice. They're up late, they're up early, making sure they have enough time in the day. And, and I think one of the greatest gifts we can give people today is our presence. And I mean presence, not presence. The greatest gift we can give to our culture is a non-anxious presence. So today I want to talk about slowing down to be present, which is so countercultural because our culture is a culture of hurry and distraction. I want to make the case for the crisis in front of us. One of the, these two things I think are the greatest threats to our discipleship to Jesus today. This is our generational issue that we face in how to practice the way of Jesus. And I just want to present to you some arguments and then we'll land with this text and then we'll what we'll do is we'll just give some practical steps to move forward as a counterformational community in this culture of hurry and distraction. Does that sound okay? I've I've warmed up. I'm okay. Can we keep going? Okay. So most of us are moving too fast in life. And here's 10 signs you're moving too fast through life by Ruth Haley Barton. Your their irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness when you, when you actually do try to rest, but you can't calm yourself down. Compulsive overworking. Emotional numbness. You just can't feel deeply anymore. Things like empathy, for example. Escapist behaviors. Alcohol, food, Netflix binge watching on Narcos Mexico or whatever it is. Some of you are called out. I got you. I'm in the same boat. It's okay. Disconnected. It's not okay. Disconnected from our identity and calling. Not able to attend to human needs. Hoarding energy. Slippage in our spiritual practice. How'd you do? Seven out of 10? Last year, I took this test. I was eight out of 10. And I preached a similar s- sermon on hurry. Um, I did much better this year. But how'd you do? Where are you at? If you look at that list, is it back up? Did the list get up there ever or no? Can we hurry up with that? Just because. <laughs> hurry sickness. Hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. This is an actual psychological term. Psychology today defines it as a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Does anyone know what that feels like? Can we just be a safe community that's like, yes. Some of us have hurry sickness. Some of us are realizing we have a problem. And we don't realize how bad the problem actually is. Michael Zigarelli did a study on 20,000 Christians in the United States and identified busyness as a major distraction from God. And he says this, it may be the case that Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, 
which leads to a more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle continues. Do you see what he's saying? That busyness and the culture of busyness distracts us from God, which makes us vulnerable to culture, which begins this process all over again. Our relationship de- deteriorates with God. Uh, Carl Jung said, hurry isn't of the devil. It is the devil. Hurry, it's a great force that we are all, most of us are dealing with in our lives. We are constantly in a hurry. And if you think about your work life, your relationships, your, the, the way we drive, to, the way we stand in line, the way we do anything. You know, now every, most people watch a show on television, on their TV, and scroll on their device, their other device. We no longer watch anything just one screen at a time. It's multiple screens at the same time. And that's the second issue. We live in a culture of distraction. Ronald Rawheiser said we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Our new norm from Michael Sock researcher Linda Stone says we are living in a continuous partial attention. That's the new norm. And continuous partial attention is when you're having lunch with somebody and you're telling them the story and they get a buzz and they check their text and they're like, no, I'm here and they're talking to you at the same time. That little thing is the norm, but it destroys our relationships. In fact, I had someone last week say to me, Darren, I really want, one of my close friends, I really want to spend time with you without our kids and without your phone. And I was like, it hit me so hard. He's like, he's, he's right. Because when we hang out, I either have a kid, which is a gift, <clears throat> Or I, and I have my phone, and I'm communicating and texting and all the other stuff that gets in the way of relationship. And a recent study says that the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,600 times a day. They're on their phone for 2.5 hours over 76 sessions. A study that talked about the millennials and younger are on their phone five hours a day. And this is, why is this such a big deal? Professor David May- Meyer said this, okay, and this is crazy to me. So I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna be the canary for a moment, okay? A leading multitasker, multitasking scholar says, the damage that are happening to our brains because of our devices and technology right now with the internet is similar to the glory days of the tobacco industry. And he says, I quote, people aren't aware of what's happening to their mental processes in the same way that people years ago couldn't look into their lungs and see the residual deposits of tobacco use. How you doing? Okay, let's just keep a couple more thoughts and then we're gonna, why is this so important? People, um, this is a quote from Andrew Sullivan who did this whole thing about technology use as someone who was, uh, took off his phone and got off his computer for a season. He said this, modernity slowly weakened spirituality by design and by accident. In favor of commerce, it downplayed silence and mere being in favor of noise and constant action. The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. If the church came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction, 
perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. This is a non-Christian. If we would just see that it's not hedonism that's a threat or who's in office or not in office or getting our policies passed, but actually distraction is the greatest threat, it might change how we approach this broken and fragile frazzled digital generation. Why does this matter? Because this, this new world of hurry and distraction and addiction is robbing us of the ability to be present to others, to ourselves, and most importantly, to God. In doing so, it's robbing us of our soul. The hurry and distraction of our generation and time is robbing us of our soul. And to quote Andrew Sullivan, one more time, he says, the new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. And its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shape shift under pressure. The threat is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget we have any soul. We live in a culture that has a problem with time and distraction. And the solution is not more time added in our life. The solution is to slow down our life and learn to be present. This is a serious crisis because it's destroying our witness as a church. I just want to do a quick self-assessment. 2018, if you were to examine your life, what kind of fruit is your life bearing based on how you lived 2018? What kind of fruit has your life produced over the last year? It said, you know, see, the thing in Christianity is we're supposed to move towards Christ's likeness the longer we are a Christian. The longer we go, we, we are filled with things that Christ was filled with. According to scripture, this is what is, it's designed to be. But for many of us, that's not the reality we're faced with, right? If you were to evaluate the fruit you're bearing. And let's just juxtapose the fruit of the spirit, just this list with what I would say is the fruit of culture. Where do you find yourself? Here's the list that I, uh, we have from scripture. Love, this is the fruit of the spirit. Love, are you growing in love or indifference this year? Are you growing in joy or sadness or seriousness? Now that's, you can deal with, sadness is not an emotion that you have to just disengage from. Sadness is a real thing that we need to deal with. But are you becoming a person who's filled with joy over a long period of time? Is that reservoir of life experience, recognizing that joy comes from the Lord, that all things work out for good, is that becoming the dominant force within your life? Or are you moving up and down with your highs and lows and happiness based on how the week goes and how many tweets and likes you got or whatever it is? Are you growing in peace or in anxiety and discord? Are your relationships filled with more peace or conflict? Are you growing in patience or impatience and tolerance? And if you're a parent of young kids, you don't have to worry about that. So just kidding. <laughs> in fact, I think I've told you this story, but I'm going to say it one more time in case you didn't hear this. Um, I prayed for patience for a while. And uh, there was a moment where I'm just like losing my patience. And I felt like the Lord said, it was when I was putting my son to bed. And it's, if you ever try to put kids down, it's just, um, and I was losing. I'm like, gosh, why won't you just give me patience? And he said, I, I am. And you're going to learn it through your son going to bed. 
Oh, it's like wax on, wax off stuff right there. <laughs> this is where you learn to practice patience, Darren. Oh, namaste. <laughs> Kindness or selfishness and harshness. Are you growing in goodness or immorality, dishonor, and dishonesty? Are you growing in faithfulness or inconsistent? Are you becoming steadfast over time or more inconsistent? These are, this is fruit of the spirit, gentleness or hardness, self-control or instability and rest. Are you growing in generosity, in unity, in grace, in meaningful relationships? Is your life expanding with Jesus or is it shrinking with fear? And if you're like me, after examining 2018, maybe in this moment, like me, as I did this earlier this week, you're feeling a sense of guilt. Yeah? A bunch of shoulds on your life. Anyone, let's just, you're like, yep, I don't measure up. Thanks again, Pastor D. Or whatever you call me, I just. <laughs> Darren. <laughs> I've never called myself that. Dang it. <laughs> Anyone feel like a sense of guilt? A sense of, oh man, I'm, way, I'm on the right category, not the left. Just be honest for a moment. I want to just get, get into a teaching moment for us. Okay, great. But you shouldn't feel guilty. It's not your fault. Now, some of these things you've chosen to behave in and they're, they're, uh, they're part of your characteristics, part of the things that you've chosen as far as uh, how you interact with people and so on. But we are part of a flawed system. And just hang with me for a moment because I want to make my case. The system we are living in is what culture has trained us to be. And culture is failing at this moment. Because if you step to the, that side, what you have is the characteristic and fruit of culture. And we are experiencing the system of culture. We've been living in this system and it's producing the very thing it's designed to produce. Because without Christ and Jesus, we are on this side of the comparison on this side of the chart. And the system is flawed. And this is the thing. William Stafford said, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. So if you want to be on the other side, you have to change the system. The problem isn't that you have good intentions or set New Year's goals. The problem is you're, you haven't approached following Jesus the way Jesus intended you to approach following Jesus. And stay with me because this is where it all matters. You see, the real problem is we think we can get the results that Jesus promises, the fruit of his life, without approaching the life the way Jesus lived. The real problem is we think we can get the results Jesus promised without approaching our life the way Jesus approached life. We think we can just keep living our lives with our lifestyles as is, and we think somehow that that will magically produce the fruit of patience and joy and meaningful relationships and everything our lives are longing for. But that's the failed system of Christianity that's been produced by a church culture. If you want the life of Jesus... You must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Protestantism has thought if we just preach the Bible to you and if you just read the Bible and pray, your life will be transformed. 
And praying sometimes in charismatic circles is come forward and have those issues zapped out of you, which that happens some, sometimes. Zap is not the word, but the spirit meets you in a powerful moment and you're set free. You're delivered. Those things happen. That's why we do it here. But becoming like Jesus, becoming the kind of person that reflects Jesus is done in partnership with the Spirit over a long period of time. And Jesus intended his teachings and his life messages to be practiced as you take on his lifestyle, his yoke. You can't just insert Jesus' truths into your daily life and keep on living like the rest of culture. Those habits need to be transformed like Jesus' habits. Is anyone here? This is Eugene Peterson's version. Listen to this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Does anyone here want this? I want this so bad for you. I want you to experience the unforced rhythms of grace so that you can live freely and lightly. And the secret, according to Dallas Willard, of the easy yoke, the secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else does around us. And that's a strategy bound to fail. We must learn to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus in order for us to experience the life of Jesus today. This means restructuring our lives around the way of Jesus. In a culture that is moving farther and farther from his way of life, we must intentionally create space to practice the way of Jesus. If we want to learn the unforced rhythm, rhythms of grace, we must match our lifestyle to Jesus and find his solutions to our cultural problems. So, practically, I think the two things that will help us the most as we move forward is to answer this question, how do we slow down and be present? Does anyone else need help slowing down in order to learn how to be present? Because if you look at Jesus' life, he was never in a hurry. He was always interruptible and he was always present to the people around him and what God was doing in that moment and his own emotions in that moment. So you could say presence is the gift to be present to yourself, to the people immediately around you and to God in that moment. Does anyone else want to learn this? I do. And I don't feel like I have the answers. Um, I've just been processing how to get there. And over this last year, um, one of my New Year's resolutions was to be an unhurried presence. And I took this test, the 10 things that you're, you know, you're moving too fast through life. And last year, I was eight out of 10. This year, I could say I'm maybe one out of 10. And that's a huge improvement, I think. Um, but I had to do some serious reconstruction in my life. 
And I don't know where you come from or what your time is, but I want to give you some steps. And this is just going to end really practically because I want for our church, to, for us to learn the way of Jesus today. And so here's where I'm going to land with some practical teachings for you to reconstruct your life around the things that matter most. Number one, how do we slow down to, and be present? Number one, acknowledge that you have a problem. <laughs> acknowledge you have a problem. You have to acknowledge you have an issue with being in a hurry, not being present, and being distracted. So AA, number one, what's, the, what's, what's rule number one in A? What's the step one? Anyone know? Acknowledge. I just stole it from them. So number two, if you want different results, you have to change your system. And number three, then, match your overall pace of life to the pace of life of Jesus. I want you to go into Scripture and recognize what Jesus had time for. Jesus had enough time in the day for what the Father required of him. Jesus was never in a hurry. He was always in present. Check this out. Mark chapter six. You don't have to go. I'm going to read this. Um, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles to go and do the things that he was doing. They come back. And it says, verse 30 of chapter six, the apostle gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, have you ever worked so hard you forgot to eat lunch? You ever done that? Maybe some of you haven't done that. Okay, so you're working too hard. He says, okay, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So you've worked hard, you're exhausted. Jesus goes from work to this rhythm of rest. Go from doing to resting to recoup. And he says, but many who saw them leaving recognized them. Um, and when, they, when Jesus landed, a large crowd was gathered and he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So they got done working all day doing the ministry stuff and he gets there thinking they're gonna be alone to rest. And this is where Jesus teaches all these different things and he feeds the 5,000. After he feeds the 5,000 and performs this miracle, remember Jesus hadn't had any time by himself. It says in verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Beth Bethesda while he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. I just want to show you this quick picture. Jesus is ministering all day, goes to get away, gets interrupted by a good thing, feeds 5,000 people, teaches them about Jesus, heals the sick, does all that stuff. And then he's go he sends his disciples away. And rather than going to sleep after a busy day, he does what his soul needs to get rest. He gets in the presence of God. This is what I'm talking about, that we need our lifestyle to match the lifestyle of Jesus. There are habits and practices that were, that were formational that enabled him to do the things that he did. It wasn't just because he was zapped, he, he was God, or he, he was just the, in, walking in the spirit. Jesus lived an intentional life that produced the capacity for him to be nailed to the cross. And in that moment, the only thing he possibly could do is say, Father, forgive them. He didn't learn that in the moment. He was practicing that his entire life with little things. Like, hey, I'll never deny you, Jesus. Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. But he already, he already knew how to forgive. My time's up. <clears throat> I want you to recognize that there's always enough time in the day for the things God is asking of you but there will never be enough time in the day for what God is not asking of you. How do we become, 
match our lifestyle to Jesus. Um, I'm sorry, how do we slow down and be present? Practice the spiritual disciplines. These are counterformational habits that will shape your life and produce the fruit of the Spirit over a long period of time. We must practice silence and solitude, Sabbath, prayer, slowing down, and simple and sacrificial living. We've talked about all these different disciplines, but solitude and silence daily, even if it's just 10 minutes. Get with yourself and Jesus, read some scripture and pray. Practice it daily. Practice disciplines of slowing. This is the hard one. Eat slow. Drive the speed limit. Take a full stop. Get in the longest line at the, at the, at the grocery store. These are so strange. This will produce a non-anxious presence for a hurried culture. All these disciplines we've talked about, you can go online to check them out. I just wanted to give you a list. These are the most important ones here. I want you to realign your values to the values of the kingdom. The two biggest areas in our life that I think we need to work on is time and money. Align your schedule around what matters most. And I think this is probably the most profound thing I learned when I went to Vanguard University in Professor Bill Doctrine's class. He said, this is what it looks like to organize your schedule. And most of us are probably doing it in reverse. Number one, time, uh, you and God. Number two is you organize time with you and self, which let me just speak to self real quick. This is a time of soul care. So you and God is your devotional life, things of the discipline, reading scripture, walking with Jesus and day in and day, day out. Time with self is doing things in your life that uh, fill up your energy levels. So for me, it's I need to be active. I need to run. I need to read. Um, or it's also Sabbath, so that's what we do as a family. But my wife knows when I haven't been doing these things to care for myself. This is not a, a thing, to, permission to be selfish, by the way. All right? A lot of people have a hard time loving themselves. Some of you don't. So don't use this as, <laughs> Pastor said I can surf for eight hours a day or whatever. Like, that's not what I'm saying, okay? Pastor D said I could <laughs> Three is you and your spouse and then children? How do you lead out of your marriage the life you have? How do you cultivate this covenantal relationship that's a model for the world to see a unity amongst diversity? Number four is you and your community. This is so important to me because this is what I see. I see us getting burnt out and the first thing that goes is your devotional life. The second thing that's happening is people are opting out of church life. I see it. I'm gonna take a break from church life. And it's, I'm realizing that this is what, what we're not recognizing. We're not embodying the values of scripture. Scripture shows us that church becomes a primary identity for us as this is our new family. But because of culture, we live with the self as the dominant kind of image of what drives our values. It's what conveniences. So most of the church in life we're involved in is not based on a priority of witness. It's based on a priority of convenience, how it serves me. And we don't recognize that when we're baptized into this community, Sunday is just one of the things that occupies our schedule of 168 hours a week. But there should be house church and are, are caring for one another, are bearing for one another, are, are, are laying down our lives for one another, are making sure that all of our needs are met, making sure that your brothers and sisters are walking in the way of truth because we are, we are brothers and sisters. And any of you that have a family, that have a, 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 a nuclear family, biological family, are making sure that they're cared for. 
But so many of us, when we get busy because of work or uh, we have too much going on, this is the thing that we let go of. And it's the, it's the reversal. It's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you busy so you're not part of, his, of God's primary plan to restore all things. So my wife and I are regularly asking, how are we making sure that we're investing in the body of Christ that's here? Not because we get a, a paycheck or because it's a role or of authority or position, but because this is where God has called us to primary find our identity and community. So I just throw that out there to you. Just think about it. The fourth is you and your calling. So some of you have callings from God. Some of you don't know what that means. That's okay. That, that are not related to your paycheck and your work, but God has called you to things, called you to serve in leadership positions at a church, called you to work with New Life Beginnings, called you to various capacities to lead a business group or whatever it is. There's callings in place in your life. That should go before your work schedule. As you map out your week, this, my wife and I do this every month. We look at our week. Who are we inviting over? We look at our priorities. And this is what Bill taught me. And, and I can tell you almost every time when I'm anxious and stressed, it's because the big rocks, time with God, time with self, time with spouse, time with covenantal community is, is, off, is off. Does that make sense? Realign your time to God. The other is to realign your resources, your finances. We'll talk about this next week. Francis Chanwell, good luck. Um, <laughs> he's a guy who's given 90% of his wealth away. One of the best-selling authors of all, of all time. Super inspiring, but he's challenged me so much with generosity. But we have to realign our resources to the things of Jesus. And the last thing I want to leave you to think about as you enter into the season is I want to invite you to create a digital desert. I was praying the other week and I felt like the Lord say, Darren, I want you to go into a digital desert. You know how we're called into desert place to test, to, to learn in silence and solitude throughout scripture. I feel like God wants us as a generation to create habits, not constantly, but places in our lives where we have a digital desert. We're not constantly bombarded by the infinity, the infinity that we have access to. And so what I've decided is what I do is just take an assessment of what distracts you most, makes, make a list, and then create boundaries and eliminate those distractions. So for me, I'm just giving you the things that impacted me. I had to turn off my phone. I turned my phone into a, uh, my smartphone into a dumb phone. So I don't have emails on my phone. I don't have social media. I don't have news apps. I don't have Voxer. I don't have the inf- whatever app you get into Instagram. Um, turn off your phone at night. Turn it off on Sabbath. Try, it, try turning off your phone for 30 minutes if you can't do that. Delete social media altogether. Some of you can't do that because that's your business and your job. I'm not saying that, but maybe there's boundaries you place on the things that distract you. Limit your screen time. How many of you have your favorite Netflix show, your favorite Amazon Prime show, your favorite Hulu show, your HBO show? Anyone here want to confess to those things? Yeah, exactly. Unsubscribe from all the emails that you get in your inbox and learn to create margin in your mind and heart to listen and meditate with God. It all comes down to this. Henry Nouwen once asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction. And this was her answer. Henry Nouwen, famous Yale, Princeton, he was a lecturer in the Catholic Church, spiritual formation guru. He asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction. She said this, spend one hour each day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything you know is wrong. Follow this and you'll be fine. I sometimes think we like to make it really hard, but I really believe Mother Teresa is onto something. Brothers and sisters, spend one hour a day 
Imagine if we were marked by spending an hour and a day in adoration to the Lord, affectionate worship. And then we just didn't do anything we knew to be wrong. That would be amazing in my life. There's this passage, Luke 10, Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, which is a sign of discipleship. Sitting at the feet of a rabbi is a phrase in the first century of choosing to be a disciple. Which is so provocative and countercultural, by the way. It's saying Jesus is, okay, keep going, I'll go back. But mother, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, do you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus, do what I need you to do. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. I think this phrase for the rest of the time as we move towards Christmas should be in your heart and soul. Few things are needed, or indeed only one. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org. i
Spirit.